0: You're on Community Radio 2XX98.3 FM. You're with Scotty. You're listening to Behind the Lines. And in a few, a few brief moments, we're going to be joined by Gary Lewis and we're going to talk a lot about cooperatives in Australia. Gary Lewis has been writing and speaking about cooperation since 1983 and he's uh, written many, many books, reports and articles and uh, conference speaking, all sorts of things, but he's he's looked at uh, Rodale cooperatives and farmer cooperatives and uh, credit unions in particular, amongst uh, many other aspects of cooperatives. He is, however, keen to point out that uh, the last 10 years has been spent doing other things, so he may not be 100% up to date. So let's have a yarn. You're on Community Radio 2 X 98.3. You're with Scotty, and in the studio I'm joined by Gary Lewis. G'day, Gary. How are you? G'day, Scotty. Thanks
1: for inviting me in.
0: No worries. No worries. Um, Well, we're going to be talking about cooperatives, and uh, I guess a good place to start would be... uh, well, probably one of the hardest questions. Uh, what is a cooperative?
1: Yeah, good question because um, there are probably as many definitions as there are people thinking about the matter. Um, but a useful and pithy definition that I have um, uh, subscribed to over you know, many years of research in the field is it basically it's a democratically owned and controlled business. Um, which shares the benefits of the uh, of the activity the economic activity equitably with the owners and controllers of the business to the degree that they've contributed to the production of the surplus, whether it be in goods and services or manufacturing or what democratically owned and controlled business now I, I'm a bit um, a bit chary about the emphasis on the word business. I've, I've, you know, sort of wrestled with this concept over many years, but at the end of the day, a cooperative is a business. Um, and uh, different from other businesses, in so far as it, as uh, mentioned earlier, is democratically owned and controlled. And that and, that conjunction is very important because it's possible to have an organisation which is democratically owned but not controlled, or democratically controlled but not owned. So it's the and, I think, which gives the uh, cooperative business model its distinctiveness.
0: Yeah, well, let's unpack that a bit because these concepts aren't really mainstream concepts and many of the listeners might be just being introduced to them. Um, so what what's uh, democratic ownership?
1: OK, well, it's, uh, it's based essentially on the one vote per person uh, basis in in the matter of uh, determining policy and and business direction uh, and the deployment of resources and all of the other salient business decisions that need to be taken by a group of people who voluntarily associate with each other on the understanding that they are as people equal in their own right and their um, their importance in the organization is not determined by their capital holdings but by their intrinsic uh, merits as a person and the capacity of the individual and it, it is based on the individual, uh, the capacity of the individual to contribute creatively and uh, b- beneficially to the enterprise.
0: Okay, so I guess you'd contrast that with um, your, your standard sort of commercial ownership model where um, I guess your voting rights are attached to how much money you have invested in the company Correct. yeah okay
1: Uh, i would uh, care to point out at this stage uh, to you and your listeners scotty that um, whilst my expertise lies in the field of australian uh, cooperatives or cooperatives in australian history it's some years now since i've actually um, been researching in the field in the last nearly 10 years i've been working on a novel relating to my father's experience in uh, world war one from which a, a novel has emerged called wounded a great war novel and i'm currently working on a radio adaptation of that for the um, print handicapped and sight impaired uh, audiences and so um, I, I i say that as a preamble to our discussion as i, I may be a little hazy on some of the uh, finer points But coming back to that point about the distinction between uh, a cooperative, say, and a a conventional or orthodox uh, commercial enterprise, um, yes. I, 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 uh, and uh, I, I would wish to stress that I'm not here proselytizing cooperatives per se. I have been interested in them as an uh, economic and social phenomenon in, in Australian history and the evolution of the Australian um, civilization. Um, but I'm not, I'm not uh, as it were, a, um, wearing a hat for cooperatives, I, I re- remain a historian in uh, thinking and approach, and so I must, wherever possible, um, <clears throat> be objective in my analysis of the evidence as it occurs. So, um, but in the, in the sort of a, a conventional for-profit company, yes, your influence, as, as it were, in the determination of policy and direction is determined by your um, capital inputs, whereas in a cooperative, uh, there is, if you like, a trusting gesture made that you, as an individual, are as important as anybody else in in the organisation. To the extent, of course, that you are pulling your weight effectively and sincerely and genuinely, and that, of course, is a judgment call that only the uh, co-members can make. So um, that's one of the fundamental differences. Uh, I'm not saying that the cooperative model is necessarily better than the the for-profit uh, model. Uh, there are some for-profit enterprises which are distinctly uh, socially progressive in their orientation. Uh, however, there are structural differences, and uh, those are the ones that I think we're focusing on today. Certainly, it's not
0: unheard of for co-ops to go mm. uh, in the other direction as well. Quite, <laughs> quite, quite. All right, now, um what we're certainly not used to at work is uh, is democratic control. I mean, really, in, in most workplaces, certainly where I have worked and where most of us would have worked, um you basically take your democracy off as you walk in the door, and correct. from there on, it's uh, it's quite a hierarchical structure where yeah. you sort of have to obey. How correct? How has it been different in in the co-op structure?
1: Well, let's just first un- unpack that concept in in conventional uh, capitalist relations in the in capitalist mode of production, where uh, historically a consensus, an antagonistic consensus, if you like, has emerged where. Um, people en masse, whether they be um, blue-collar workers or white-collar workers working with uh, intellectual property or the skills or the the labour of their bodies, have uh, entered into a relationship with someone who is able to amass sufficient capital in order to generate Um, the uh, conditions leading to employment and in that exchange a worker is prepared to exchange his or her, shall we call it generically, labour for that which uh, it, it emanates from their productive activity. Shall we call that profit? To the degree that this profit is distributed between the capitalist and the workers who contribute uh, that profit, um, in in a way that is agreed uh, within the prevailing set of industrial relations. So that that is the that is, if you like, the 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 deal to which. Uh, the masses generally in capitalist uh, countries like Australia have subscribed to, and we, we then find this translating into political form in, in say, the form, you know, the, 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 the Lib Lab confab, in, you know, in so far, you know, the Liberal Coalition, for example, representing uh, on the one hand the, the interests of capital and labour nominally, theoretically. Hopefully, on the other hand, representing the interests of labour. So you've got this uh, antagonistic, essentially antagonistic relationship without overgoing, going overboard on the Marxist analysis here uh, in a state of constant equipoise and tension. There's a trade-off, there's a deal. The capitalist takes the risk he or she expects fair reward for taking that risk. The worker tends to um, minimize his or her risks by simply going along, performing the functions that are required and deriving a salary or, uh, or wage from that. In a cooperative, of course, you, you uh, absorb both responsibility of raising the capital and the risk of, um, of of losing that capital. And that is a higher risk uh, operation um, yeah, uh, to which many are understandably averse, particularly in a context where the prevalent uh, mode of production is relatively safer, regulated, however there are risks there too, i.e. unemployment, underemployment, uh, a r- a failure to to develop fully the potential of, of the of the workers, and on the other side uh, the risk that um, you know that they they will fail and or or be sort of uh, gobbled up by some other larger corporation um, so there are risks whichever way we go about our economic business it seems to me some prefer to keep um those those the, the, those risks uh contained within the democratic ownership and control formula many don't so i don't know whether that comes anywhere near um what you were hoping i would say
0: no no that's good that's good i'm here to learn i'm here to learn as our oh, and and i yeah as our as mm. are our listeners if i can get that out <laughs> um right now um I guess uh, the whole cooperative thing sort of came out of. Uh, well, it's it's not new, is it? It's
1: no. Well, I mean, we we can. Uh, it's certainly not new. Would you like to go on with that question, Scotty? Well, or I would. I would. I mean, I guess um, I, I'm a I'm a keen dog, ready to sort of jump at the bones. <laughs> <laughs> let's say bone. um, yeah.
0: say around. Let's pick a pick a year out of the hat. Say around eighteen hundred. Just after this, in the next 50 years, there were all sorts of things that sort of just came out of the bag, it seemed, with Chartism and Marxism and the women's movement and Rodale and credit unions. Even the French Revolution was just before that. And okay. So
1: well, now. I'm what do you think
0: about these times that were so.
1: I'll so, get there, yep. but I, I want to go back even further. And again, I, I have no special expertise in this area. But this is basically just just a background observations over the years. I mean, we, we, it depends what we're talking about here. If we're talking about cooperatives as a legal structure or a business structure, for example,
0: more as just the the vibe, the gist
1: of the thing. Well, this is it. Uh, or are we talking about cooperation and if we're talking about cooperation are we talking about small c or capital c cooperation <laughs> so I, I just if i may just sort of Absolutely. ramble a little about that because certainly in the australian context the uh, impulse to cooperate and i see it as an impulse to cooperate uh, predates um uh, non-indigenous settlement by tens of thousands of years I mean, it's it's inherent in the nature of People working creatively with a hostile uh, environment in in a, in a continent like Australia to work together productively, cooperatively, in order to eke a living and develop a social structure from from within that those uh, ecological imperatives. So that requires cooperation, and one could uh, possibly, I'm um, certainly find parallels in other continents where uh, pre-agricultural cultural, pre, certainly pre-industrial societies were emerging, um, um, <clears throat> without the impulse to cooperate, the tendency to compete would have completely dominated. And it, it, it would seem to me that those two impulses, cooperate and compete, out of balance, um, uh, is, is probably um, the least healthy of all uh, social uh, uh, po- possibilities in balance, and I, I believe that in uh, in in pre pre-industrial harmonious societies, perhaps I'm, again I'm talking off the top of my head, there was a stronger element of sm- small c cooperation than we have found subsequently um, uh, p- post industrial revolution, which brings us to your question about all of these. Uh, phenomena occurring, these social um, progressive um, uh, outgrowths occurring around about the uh, 19th century, uh, I think is that what you say? Um, Well of course you've got continuities predating that also in the European context in the form of you know, various papal encyclicals uh, and Catholic uh, social doctrine, um, uh, but they tended towards the charitable end of the spectrum or, or the uh, philanthropic end of the spectrum. When we start talking about Um, exercises in self-help, which is of course what cooperatives are, we're talking about um, uh, particularly workers uh, having been um, uh, disinterred from the land and finding themselves in the so-called satanic mills of of the North, um, basically selling their labour, selling their skills for a wage, and organising to achieve the best outcomes that they could. One of the first forms of organization, in fact predating trade unionism, uh, were the cooperatives. However, they they tended to be led by messianic figures like Robert Owen, who were great orators and, um, you know, um, uh, able to sway an audience with the the passion of their rhetoric. Uh, And um, in due course, the workers on mass discovered that this was a very unreliable strategy to throw your um, destiny in with some um, grand vision. At the end of the day the only people you could trust yourselves, your confrères within your community, within your industrial base, and it's out of this ferment that the um, that, that the cooperatives emerged. I, I, I initially, in, um, in let us say, let's use in the in the British uh, context. Initially, in the uh, late eighteen twenties, eighteen thirties, the idea of cooperative shops to extend the wage of the worker as industrialization um, gained uh, accel- acceleration. Um, but the, 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 the model was imperfect. The model we are led to believe, and I, there's no reason to disbelieve it, was eventually perfected in uh, 1844 um, among uh, unemployed weavers. In the, the the small industrial town of Rochdale in in Lancashire, which you may have read, and basically their genius was to uh, rely uh, upon cash trading and cash trading only, whereas previous um, attempts had sort of uh, extended credit to to people, and basically the business had gone belly up. They also uh, discovered the importance of const- constantly nurturing a cooperative consciousness, because it's not, a, it's not a constant, it's not a given, and like anything else it needs rehearsal, practice, re-inculcation, it, it's a growing living thing, the cooperative consciousness. So the Rochdale uh, pioneers, as they call themselves, began a shop um, which then, uh, amongst pr- primarily um, industrial workers, and in many cases coal miners, uh, to the extent that um, uh, people could shop, and predominantly it was, the, it was the woman, the woman with the basket who became an icon, who would shop in the worker-owned uh, cooperative shop, and at the end of the whatever the period might be, six months, 12 months, a surplus would be declared and the people who had produced that surplus i.e. the shoppers would share in that surplus to the extent that they had produced it now it depended on the um, trading conditions of the time if it were good trading conditions uh, a working family might look forward to a two shillings in the pound Dividend, which was a significant amount of money, particularly if that money, as it often did but not always, went into the purse of the women of the shopper. So it was a it was a if you like a great levener of um, uh, women developing an independent economic uh, foundation. Uh, Not this did not always happen because of male obstructionism, but generally it was, and the cooperative women's guilds uh, became very important and a very influential. Um, element in the business of educating subsequent generations in the, in the business of cooperating now from that store, a mighty um, international cooperative movement developed. Um, And I know you're familiar with Mondragon, but it was, if you like, a a kind of like a forerunner of Mondragon in that it covered a a multitude of economic functions, not just consumerism in the retail store, but wholesaling. They moved into banking. I believe the bank may still exist in Britain. Um, uh, Insurance. I believe that insurance may... But as I say, I'm out of date. Shipping, transport, land ownership. Uh, When last I looked, what became the Cooperative Wholesale Society of Britain was one of the largest landowners in Britain, not in, in the sense that this is kind of locked off privately, this is for the production, the production of foodstuffs. Um, and, um, and then, of course, as, as an element of the um, colonial relationship which uh, the, the proto Australian society shared with uh, Britain, that um, tradition was transplanted here. As far as we know, uh, the first instance of this well, as far as I know, there are probably people out there who know more than I do now, but uh, it w- was in uh, 1859 in Brisbane, the first Rochdale shop, but I need to, I just skip back a little before that, because we're talking about the mid uh, 19th century here, there had been earlier uh, uh, cooperative experiments in uh, particularly um, uh, the Sydney, uh, the New South Wales colony, as early as the 1820s, uh, uh, Owenite Communities developed in um, in the process of um, so-called settlement or invasion, however you choose to uh, understand the non-indigenous expanse of the Australian population. Yeah,
0: I suppose in this time you, you've got to be thinking about the the wars between the Aborigines and the 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 white Australians coming in and also the fact that there's convicts all over the place
1: correct, as well Correct, because, uh, leaving aside for the moment uh, that what you call the Aboriginal wars um, certainly um, non-Indigenous labour when it first arrived uh, was competing with virtually slave labour in the form of, um, of convicts and so they had to really come up with something clever to make themselves competitive in that uh, embryonic marketplace cooperation was one such um uh, idea a to uh, secure the necessary tools friendly societies uh, for insurance and you know to protect against a rainy day mutual providence societies to uh, organize loans for people so in that context in that in that pre industrial uh, uh, period um It it, it was essential for people to cooperate. Now, I I stress this point essential because I've made myself unpopular at times in (laughs) cooperative circles by saying that cooperation is a a needs-based theory. If the need exists to cooperate, then people will find a way. If the need does not exist, they're more inclined to go with other models that are profit to them, which uh, require less investment of oneself, one time, one's time, one capital. In other words, they'll find a, an easier route that also liberates time and other resources for them to go about the business of enjoying life, because cooperating is not easy particularly when we're, you know, we've had no education and, and the institutional supports are so flimsy in a place like Australia, it requires a great act of faith and a great commitment. But in a period of time when none of those supports existed, the only choice that people in many cases had was to cooperate, was to work together. If you like to sublimate their essential. Individualism and 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 meld that into some voluntary association, so they remain individuals, but in a an, an association of, of democratic equitability. Okay, so this is the kind of thinking, as I see it, that's going on. So you get cooperative settlements uh, along Owenite uh, lines developing in places like uh, the Hunter Valley. Of course, the, the, the fire burns them out. Lack of uh, access to markets, m- water, you know, all of the things that we can expect in a, um, in a in a pioneering uh, Australian situation, uh, but that tradition that tradition carries through until today. I mean, this predates the Rochdale tradition, and that's the point I'm trying to make here. And perhaps the most Um, celebrated example of it, of course, was William Lane's new Australian Cooperative Association in Paraguay in the 1890s when a group of artists and, um, and intellectuals and socialists Decided that Australia was already too sullied for them and that they needed to go to a pure place and start a, a pure new socialist society. So they headed off with a grand piano and a plan to Paraguay. Now the ancestors of them are still there, as as I'm, I'm sure you know, Scotty. Yeah, uh, it's quite an adventure, that one, isn't it? Quite an adventure, yeah. but I mean, that's interesting in itself to see the uh, internecine tussles going on within that milieu but so that then of course the um, with with the um, settlement along the Murrumbidgee and the Murray uh, River Valley valleys um, isolation again the great sort of instructor in Australia the tyranny of distance as Blaney called it I mean They've cut off from virtually all support, so they had to work together to develop um, you know proto fruit industries. Um, there, were, there were cooperative um, uh, ferries coming you know plying, plying the the rivers uh, we see traditions of artist retreats and and uh, uh, a cooperative settlement uh, building developing out of soldier settlements uh, actually uh, much of the riverland fruit industry in uh, South Australia in Victorian and, and so, uh, southern New South Wales can trace their origins to those um, uh, not always efficacious cooperative routes. Um Then of course we can sort of come, hey man, up to the 1970s and the whole new <laughs> age thing, you know, which is, a way, which is what brought me into um, curiosity about uh, the cooperative sector. Um, first of all, you know, seeing people doing things in a, a qualitatively different way consciously deliberately, you know, deliberately trying to make a break with the conventional patterns of interrelationships. That, that sort of prompted my interest in actually doing some research, prompted by the dismissal of uh, the, 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 the Whitlam government, which helped me understand how little I understood about cooperatives history, started reading more about uh, particularly labour history in Australia, kept discovering in the footnotes references to cooperatives, this made me curious why are, uh, why in labour history are cooperatives consigned to the footnotes and that was that alerted my interest and i went off starting to find out more about these cooperatives. You can bring me back to that later on if you wish but I just want to bring us up to date to the Rochdale movement in the mid-1840s then we've got a tradition uh, a a continuity which continues to this day, weekly, almost invisible, one of which I think you may be particularly interested in the production cooperatives or as some people refer to them as worker cooperatives which we see in the 1830s and we see um, again the necessity of life, i.e. jobs and foodstuff at the, at the centre of this, bakeries, mills, quarries, newspapers, craft shops and produce stores. A tiny Owenite movement developed in Sydney which, became, which was a meeting place in the 1840s where these radical ideas that you referred to earlier were uh, brought in and discussed in other words um, uh, they're at the cutting edge of intellectual and social developments as these are occurring in europe um, and and uh, you know and and they they're discovering they're discovering an audience in this uh, 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 antipodean colony um,
0: how how does it actually mix and 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 relate to some of these these Ideas that are coming in, like the the communist idea, obviously the the Soviet structure okay. that the communists originally ah, brought in before right. it all went horribly okay. wrong, was similar.
1: Well, this is all you know pre Marxist um, uh, pre Marxist period, and and um, the emphasis that um, that that distorted view of Marxism, I would argue, was upon collectivisation, the anathema of cooperation. Um, and this is something often misunderstood again about the cooperative model I, I have likened it over time to the poor cousin of the dominant giants and on on, on the left of course you you, you have the, uh, uh, the, the the collectivist state right a, a, a powerful and virulent force within australia. Uh, petering out now because of the uh, 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 the uh, uh, accelerating ascent of the other dominant force, for-profit capital, okay, the corporatization of of the uh, capitalist marketplace. Now, in there, in the middle there are the mutuals, uh, uh, the friendly societies, the benevolent societies, the cooperatives, the not-for-profits. Uh, I guess one could say the community sector, although that, I think, is probably a category on its own insofar as there's a they um, they they are um, uh, dependent to a certain extent upon uh, the inputs of, of, of state coffers. So I don't don't get me into that. I, I know nothing about it, <laughs> but I'm married to somebody who works in the area, and it's a source of constant concern with her. Um, so uh, th- this is pre pre um, uh, 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 Marxist thinking. But you have got what I call the modern socialists. I believe predating Marxist uh, understanding as it, as it appeared in Australia. And these were often clergymen who, were, who saw in cooperation and saw in the, um, the, 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 the willingness to help yourself through helping others uh, a manifestation in economic terms of Jesus Christ's teachings. Now the, these were often uh, some of the more radical um, uh, me- me- members of the community, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, proselytizing this idea from the pulpit uh, and 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 promoting the idea of cooperation um, as as a as a Christian way of doing things. Uh, initially in in the Anglican arena, but uh, increasingly in the Catholic, which we'll come to later on. Which is almost, we're almost up to the Rochdales. I'm running around chasing my tails like the good dog I am. But here we go to the next big tradition and continuity because they uh, remain to this day of course of the building societies which not surprisingly first emerged as far as we can tell in gold booming Port Phillip, the the, 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 the nascent uh, Melbourne. Various varieties, I won't go into them, but the star bouquet is still being used uh, I believe Uh, amongst um, uh, ethnic communities who want to get into housing mortgage-free and so basically they will form a group of people they will subscribe uh, capital to the society and then a marble will be drawn and if your marble comes out first you have your house um, uh, 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 mortgage-free the others then uh, uh, subsidize those who are waiting down the list vis-a-vis rent. So at the end of the day, everybody ends up with a house mortgage-free and everybody achieves this equitably. So that, that was one form of uh, the building societies, which are absolutely um, essential in urban and township development throughout Australia, particularly where banking finance was restricted. Then the terminating building societies, if you're, if you're developing a rural community, perhaps around some agricultural industry, which itself might be cooperatively organising, um, and you need to attract... Particularly families there, what do you need? You need housing. How do you get the housing? The banks are not interested. A philanthropist, or a clergyman, or a business person, you know, anxious to sort of develop the town, and hence his or her own business, might float the money, eventually with a, um, a state guarantee so this is where there is this, this you feel like this marriage of the state and the, and the private uh, venturer to the uh, abetterment of society and this was this was how the building society movement developed Taking the form eventually of permanent building societies, so that sufficient capital existed, people actually banked in their in their building society and uh, raised a deposit sufficient to be able to raise a loan at, at uh, competitive rates. Now, we all know that the building societies have um, have uh, are not as prominent, shall we say, in in the uh, financed industry as they once were. Many have converted to uh, uh, banking or capitalist orthodoxy. Others have simply been subsumed into larger organisations. But they're still around. Um, and uh, we and the the thing to be said about that there were, there were both genuine cooperative building societies and bogus building societies, basically just set up to create the veneer of uh, this uh, virtuous organization to attract the punters, okay, and that's, that's where the legislators had to uh, come in, that's when we began to see legislation for cooperatives, building societies, friendly societies, because there was a great deal of abuse of a very attractive model. I mean, the idea of cooperating, working together to help each other, wow, that's, that's a, you know, an aphrodisiac, you know. <laughs> but, uh, in fact, it's, uh, it's not as straightforward as we would like it to be. Um, so the building societies, they're still around, and you can even see them advertised, the Newcastle Building Society, for example, advertising. And that brings us up to the back up to the Rochdale cooperatives. I'm sorry to have been sort of no, fun, no, this is good. so circumlocutory. But it's important to understand that this tradition of non-Indigenous cooperation, which is what we 're talking about here today, uh, goes right back to the very earliest days. I didn't mention the uh, uh, Caroline Chisholm uh, phenomenon, and Caroline Chisholm um, uh, who who saw the destitution, particularly of young women arriving on on the shores of Sydney, perhaps homeless, vulnerable, and so she began to develop. Um, uh, uh, if you like, refuges initially for women, but then eventually for uh, both all genders. Okay, and then she developed a loan society um, to help bring particularly more women out to Australia. So I mean, that was that was a, a, a philanthropic, but um, uh, uh, employing a cooperative methodology to achieve that. So that that's I think worth mentioning too. Um, so okay, we're, we're up to the Rochdale consumer cooperatives. You know, prompt me from there, please, Scotty.
0: Right. Well, what are the what are the principles that the the Rochdale pioneers back in England sort of? Okay. Oh, shall we shall we take a breath of no. breath of air? No, Excellent. unless you unless let's you, go, um, you know, go. I've got yep. you
1: pinned to the wall. There. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on. No, I'm fine, mate. You know, as long as the adrenaline's up, I'm right to go. Um... Okay, well, the, 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 the sort of principles, as I say, that they perfected, whereas other um, previous models had not quite got the formula uh, to, uh, altogether, uh, essentially, uh, open membership, cash trading, one member, one vote, limited interest on share capital, reward uh, uh, commensurate with patronage, that's what we, we call the, the patronage principle, Okay? Mm -hmm. Equitable distribution of surpluses according to the degree to which you have created those surpluses. And I use the word surplus advisedly. As, as a kind of a, in contradistinction to profit, okay and this was one of the I'm, I'm, I'm diverting here but I'll come back this is one of the um, enticing diversions in, into which the proto-cooperative movement wandered it, 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 it appeared that because this was such a good thing uh, administrations would grant it Uh, taxation consideration and so for many it actually the 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 primary motive for cooperating was to avoid tax okay which is you know just brings a kind of a sullied edge to a lot of this altruism we're talking about but limited interest on share rewards and pa- participation. Now that is so important. I mean, you know, w- w- if we go to work in a conventional system, all being equal, it's not so now in kind of you know digital the digital economy, but. For um, uh, still most workers you sign off at the end of the day and that's it you know what i mean but with a cooperative i mean it's not a nine to five situation it's it's an ongoing engagement and that as i said before requires considerable investment of time in a time impoverished environment such as the one we uh, inhabit now and and this was the this was the one that they neglected at their peril, and history demonstrates that it was a key reason for their failure to achieve a greater impact than their theory suggested possible, and it was investing in education. Now, I know you, you know about Mondragon, I did a little bit of uh, study of <coughs> uh, cooperatives in Spain, and the legislation there, as I recall, and of course it may have changed, um, mandated the investment of a percentage, I think the Rochdale pioneers it was 2.5% of your turnover to go into education, they saw that as absolutely a vital element of the sustainability, the endurability of the enterprise, in Spain at least it's mandated not here. It's kind of uh, a decision made by the board and in particular the executive officer r- relating to, if they see there's a bang for the buck in it they'll do it if not it's likely to just to go into advertising as, as opposed to education on the in the business of uh, maintaining developing uh, and broadcasting a cooperative consciousness so in that context because the cooperative movement itself neglected that vital educational field. There has been an impoverishment, I would argue, in, in, in the matter of uh, cooperative consciousness in, in a particularly virulent capitalist society characterized by a strong state paternalistic element like Australia. They simply fail to keep up with the competition. The collectivists, and the capitalists. And so, and this again, you know, raises eyebrows in cooperative circles when I say this, but I'm a historian, I'm not a proselytizer, okay. Um, Basically, they hoist (coughs) themselves with their own petard. Uh, And of course, uh, being somebody involved in cooperative education and realising how, um, you know, the paucity of resources that has been available there, I speak from bitter experience. Um, So, okay, now, so the, 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 um, those were the move. That those were the fundamental principles, and they remain essentially the fundamental principles of the giant international cooperative alliance, which is based in Geneva and which claims to have something like 760 million affiliates around the world. Sadly, very poorly represented. In Australia, I think fewer than 54,000 people at last count uh, were through their cooperatives and associations affiliated with the ICA. There's a, there's a long, painful uh, history behind that, which of course we won't have time to go into today. But again, uh, I, I would see that as an indictment against the, uh, the previous generations of cooperators, the whirlwind of which we are now inheriting. Okay, Um, so for example, there are more um, people affiliated to the ICA in Kazakhstan than there are in Australia, as I understand, I just put that in as a (laughs) facetious aside. Um, uh, But within this burgeoning um, cooperative movement based on, hey, uh, you know, our our, our most fundamental impulse, consumption, shopping, eating food, you know, um, you, 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 you had... Uh, polls of opinion. So you had the idealists on the one hand saying, hey, we've got the economic um, foundation here for a fundamentally, qualitatively different socio-economic system, which they dubbed the cooperative commonwealth. Now I would love to know whether that carried into the notion of the commonwealth of Australia. I haven't been able to sort of pinpointed yet, but I suspect it may well have been uh, leeching into the consciousness, you know, in in the formulation of that nomenclature. Um, so the cooperative commonwealth is going to replace the capitalist society with a with a, a more um, uh, <clears throat> equitable society built on amity and and fairness and, and you know, all of the all of the wonderful ideas. Um, however, the pragmatists. On the other side, no, no, that's off for the fairies. Well, all we want to do is to um, grow the cooperative sector so that it, is, it can take its rightful place in the equation between the state and, and the for-profit sector so that you know, we've got a sufficient muscle to be able to um, uh, not be pushed around you know, and then we can actually influence Uh, social and economic incomes. Now, again, the pragmatists splintered into uh, different camps, the the hard-nosed, you know, sort of uh, utilitarians who basically cared only about the bottom line and nothing else. Unfortunately, they tended to become the dominant group. Um, And and this was all reflected in Australia between um, what we've called the Federalists and the Individualists. The Federalists basically uh, wanted to reflect the predominant uh, imperial relationship with the cooperative wholesale society based in manchester so basically um, we imported their manufactures and we exported our primary products and th- th- which is going to bring me to the next tradition in, in just one second um, the individualist on the other hand said no we have to do it here ourselves we have to develop worker cooperatives to develop our own uh, goods and, and services and market that within you know, the context of Australia and not rely upon these imports. So that was sufficient, if you like, to stymie any um, uh, social, social and political efficacy the movement might have had. Also because the, um, the dividend that was uh, a, a reward for patronage so let's just say it was twenty percent, okay, of of uh, expenditure in a shop. In when uh, centralized wages and conditions uh, fixing mechanisms developed, the arbitration conciliation court that was computed into the calculation for the basic wage. So if If a a significant section of particularly mining and and manufacturing workers were actually deriving an income, as it would be legalistically described from another source, that, uh, that gave in the computation sufficient grounds to minimally, but nevertheless, reduce the overall um, uh, 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 wage um, decided uh, to be, you know, uh, uh, awarded across an industry or across the nation. So hence the trade unions didn't particularly like this. uh, I'm generalising wildly there. Some did, (laughs) depended very much on which industry we're talking about. I suppose that would be
0: from the uh, the pragmatists within the trade union movement as well, wouldn't it? Correct.
1: They were suspicious of the potential that cooperatives had, in in, in, and in many ways, to um, to challenge. their their preeminence in the matter of representing the interests of workers so uh, an uncomfortable uh, alliance uncomfortable relationship developed there which translated into politics when the trade union movement invented the labor party
0: yeah it's a funny thing i mean i guess with a lot of protest movements and protest organizations the 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 logical sort of reasonable end of those movements would be that they win the fight and then they cease to exist because there's no longer a reason for it but um, i guess the unions didn't really see it that way at the time because the co-ops to me, would have been uh, providing a a means to that end.
1: Well, you've got this tricky kind of ideological uh, no-man's land there, Scotty, if you've got organisations which, the raison d'etre for which is to represent the interests of the workers, as they see it, on the one hand, and then you've got in your very midst organisations which are neither employers or employees, but both. It's ideologically messy, you know. It sort of tends to go into the too hard basket, you know, <laughs> because w- w- who are these cooperators? What are they? You know, where do they actually fit in the in the antagonistic equation that is the capitalist uh, uh, mode of production? Where, you know they're attempt, they're attempting to um, uh, uh, ameliorate or resolve those antagonisms. And and, and the same can be said about the for-profit sector. I mean, these cooperators, both employers and employees, where do they fit in our midst? The answer is in both cases they don't, or not easily. Certainly not unless uh, enlightened and progressive thinking is, is at play. When generally speaking, it isn't, and I guess that really continues up until the present, doesn't it? It does indeed. It does, and this this is why the, um, the and we, the, I'm going to I'm going to illustrate this with a, a couple of other uh, traditions. But uh, yep, let me know if you need a break. But I'm I'm still going. I yeah? can keep going. No I hope problem. I hope you two are listeners. <laughs> <laughs> they, I've trained them well. <laughs> um, okay, so now you you've got these problematics occurring. In what was um, primarily in the, in the, in say the first half excuse me, the second half of the 19th century, these ideological polemics at work within what could have turned out to be the predominant cooperative movement in Australia. Um, But um, it's not happening. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, literally, uh, the farmers' cooperatives are beginning uh, to, um, uh, again, as, as the Rochdale pioneers were driven by technological... Advance, i.e. their skills were no longer relevant because, you know, spinning with jennies and what have you, were doing the job of dozens of them, you know, in half the time. So they had to come up with something else. Um, as with, with the... With the um, improvements in transport, refrigeration, and, and the, uh, the, and, and the uh, expanse of agriculture initially ar- around the coastal areas of Australia. Um, uh, middlemen set themselves up between the consumer and the producer uh, to cream off, basically, you know, to punch the ticket on, on the way through. And uh, eventually, uh, and in particular dairy farmers, realized that they didn't need these dudes these middle guys you know creaming off surpluses which they saw rightfully as their own and so haha what will we do there's a need here there's a need here how do we what do we do we're in relatively isolated pioneering communities you know we've got ourselves basically we're, we're our major resource our herds our pastures what have you um, we've got a perishable product. Um, if we if we try to sort of sell this product, as say in Sussex Street in Sydney, it's perishable. If these middlemen say, no, "No, we don't want your stuff. It's not good enough." Da 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 da, you're done. So we'll do it ourselves. We'll collect the the milk. We'll 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 cream the milk. We'll 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 process the milk. We'll market the milk. We'll sell the milk in in into the retail. And so this was like the the the, uh, the beginning of Perhaps the biggest and economically most significant uh, cooperative movement in Australia, which began around about the 1870s. There is some dispute about this um, on the south coast of New South Wales and areas around uh, Kiama and further south from there, and wherever herds were moving. Wherever herds were moving, wherever the pastures became available, the cooperative idea travelled with them, you see. So, virtually all along the east coast of New South Wales, um, into Adelaide, indeed South Australia, Victoria, across to Western Australia, um, uh, these uh, nomadic herds family, I didn't say herdsmen, herds families would would go with their herds and the cooperative idea. So that's how that spread. but again, there were genuine cooperatives and bogus cooperatives. And the bogus cooperatives tended to discredit the whole cooperative movement. And of course, there's always a legion of people ready to leap onto any possible de- misdemeanor. That the cooperative sector has done is go ha ha! It only goes to prove to you they are inefficacious, they don't work. It, it's a you know cloud cuckoo idea, and, and of course the media loves to uh, portray this too. Yes,
0: yeah, probably all set yeah. up by unemployed, angry middlemen.
1: They're (laughs) contesting for, you know, a sparse marketplace. And if Mm -hmm. these cooperatives are moving in and and taking over some of that market space, obviously the competitors are going to become irate, you know. I guess
0: for (laughs) another little bit of context there, there's, um, as you say, the technology is creating huge unemployment as it moves forward and and takes away jobs. And also there's, um, there's no dole yet, is there? So unemployment's a much more serious situation back then than it is at the present
1: that's right there were friendly societies and mutual benefit like the mighty amp which of course was uh, some time ago uh demutualized which is a euphemism for being taken over by a dirty big corporation but you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they, they for over a century they provided those kind of insurances and supports uh, along with the other cooperative manifestations in the retail, the, the um, production, the worker and, and the uh, agricultural cooperatives, which developed in dairy, wheat, fruit, vines, fish, rice, meat and, and, and other uh, grains and nuts, uh, right around Australia were at the very heart of um, the development of numerous um, uh, inland uh, rural communities as were the building societies and in many cases the, uh, the Rochdale cooperatives and a very good extant example of that would be Nuri Utpa in uh, South Australia which my wife and I drove through just a few days ago um, backtracking again Um, That developed uh, from uh, attempts to form cooperatives on the banks of of the Murray River to develop uh, fruit and vine industries and the need for market, hence ferries to get the stuff out, barges to get the stuff out. Um, workers, of course, the workers who would then tend to when when the barge came up full of booze, there'd be this bacchanalian sort of you know <laughs> um, self-destructive few days, and of course the, the the local clergy frowned upon this, and so they there were a need existed, and so they applied. A theory that had been developed in Germany, I, I believe, the Gottenberg Inn system, and one still exists there, called the the Vine Inn in Nuremberg. So there is just one rural community which combines building societies. I'm sure credit unions are there, retail cooperatives, and another tradition I'm about to come to, the community advancement cooperatives, and of course the agricultural cooperatives. So there there are there are silos, if you like, around Australia which are still proudly. Even defiantly, uh, um, not predominantly necessarily, but uh, strongly representative of the cooperative impulse, um, and, 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 and 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 these cooperatives were were uh, uh, right at the heart of particularly rural and regional cooperative development, and I think this is something that you know is a, is a success story. That has not been sung or told um, often enough or volubly enough, you know. And I, I do know now, having recently been asked to give a talk to the AGM of a of a major cooperative in South Australia, which. Though it is a cooperative, is registered as a public company. Um, uh, that the the, the, the the giant international corporations are circling are circling Australian agriculture um, as a very desirable asset to strip. And the basically the only defence uh, at the end of the day is the will of the cooperators to refuse to do this. But. Now on the other hand, to resolve the cooperative dilemma, as I describe it, which is, and it's a real dilemma, and it's been a reason why many of the cooperatives have gone under, how do you resolve the essential contradiction in cooperative structure between the need for democratic ownership and control on a one-person, one-vote basis, and the need for adequate capitalisation? For the latter, there are only two choices. One is it's got to come from members' own resources and or from debt. And those really are the only choices. Now, again, that introduces the element of risk. No matter how um, defiantly cooperative you are, proudly cooperative you are, you see it as a part of your rural tradition, and many do, as a part of a legacy that's been passed down to you by um, creative and, and, and industrious forebears. How do you actually do this today in a world awash, with international capital, moving around freely wherever it wants to go, predating upon whatever it wants to do, whenever it wants to, w- virtually stripped of, of any regulatory uh, impediments. You know, this requires a mighty act of faith. I suspect that there is a mood developing, particularly in Bush communities, uh, to, to take that leap of faith in the interests of maintaining the community standards and values which are important to the people who live within that community, which can't be measured just in money. And if you, if you forfeit your democratic ownership and control of your local enterprises, then, um, ipso facto, that ownership and control resides somewhere else, and it may be in some foreign boardroom. And it may well be that your enterprise, at some uh, moment in the auditing of the profitability of various um, enterprises in the empire, ceases to meet the mark and is simply ticked off. And where is your community then? And we've seen this happen to so many Australian communities. I you mean, know, this might sound cynical; it's certainly uninformed. Who have t- tended to take the easy path and rely upon external capital? Um, so, yeah. Well, I think uh,
0: following the path of least resistance is a pretty predominant pattern there in nature. Go. So it's yeah. not too surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of nature, what? How, so just to follow on from what you were saying there, do you reckon that the the sort of the emergence of a, a consciousness of our our human animal reliance on nature is is going to become an influence in that perceived need that the co-op needs. Great question, Scotty.
1: Big, complex one for which I'm uh, you know I'm not fully not even partially qualified to answer. But Just a guess will do. I'll if we needed to be qualified, <laughs> we'd all be in trouble. Um, i I have the privilege and pleasure of of, of, uh knowing uh, an eminent scientist Um, and i am forever uh interrogating him on the matter of cooperation in nature to the point where i think he goes (laughs) cross-eyed and 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 essentially uh, of course cooperation occurs small c cooperation occurs Astrologically, I mean, the the gravitational field of various astral bodies is in equipoise, enabling the uh, continued harmonious orbiting of our moon, for example, our relationship to the sun. It's all in that sort of astrological sense, cooperating. Okay.
0: And again, the same thing with electrons.
1: Yes, uh, I'm completely. But I'm sure you're. (laughs) Why don't you tell us about electrons cooperation? Yeah.
0: Well, just imagine the solar system and the the magnetic or gravitational fields becoming cooperating to keep the orbit in the same spot. It's similar, similar gist. Yes. Same look.
1: This is right. I mean, I mean basically this conversation I helped alerts us to the need to think about cooperation in a broader sense than simply a business model. Because if we confine our thinking to cooperatives as a business model, it seems to me we're in danger of suffering from myopia. And uh, again, and this is, you know, I know some people might take offence at what I'm about to say out there in the cooperative development world, but it seems to me by giving, by emphasizing the business model uh, in in the cooperative mood and downplaying the intoxicating uh, philosophical side of the thing which is reflected in nature, Uh, people run the risk of basically producing another battalion of suits rather than galvanizing all of the uh, uh, energy which exists particularly among the young the disenfranchised the alienated out there when they understand that if they choose to accept the impulse of working together to help themselves help each other there's nothing they can't do short, it's easy to say But the legislation, the institutional frameworks, the resources available do not enable that. I mean, there is this massive potential called cooperation out there, and we keep hearing about the need to release improved productivity. What could be a better unleasher of productivity than opportunities of people to create their own businesses, within their own resources, sagely supported. I mean, I cannot think, you know, of a, of a greater energy than that. For unleashing productivity and yet we go on with the same old lib lab you know argument about you know what we've got to do to a tinker here and adjust there and deregulate this and you know we incentivize this and amalgamate that and and so on and so on you know I mean these th- this is a tired old argument yeah left wing and right
0: wing its the same exactly, old exactly
1: exactly the lib lab confab as I love to call it <laughs> um, and 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 basically, so there is this massive potential, and of course, it's being realised in many other countries around the world. Sorry if I, I bump that. <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, I mean, Australia is in many ways, you know. Uh, the, the, the retarded one in terms of uh, international cooperative development. Uh, I'm still, uh, this is not the historian speaking here, this is the, you know, this is the advocate talking <laughs> here. I still live in hope of the day that um, people will again en masse be turned on to uh, cooperation and cooperatives. I long for the day when the A triple C becomes the A quadruple C so that we include cooperation along with competition in in the equation because it it seems to me to be um uh, as valid as competition, as necessary as competition in nature. Both are, are the yin and the yang, as it were, of, of, of the natural balance of things. And where you retard cooperation and, and emphasize competition, you end up with a world looking not dissimilar from the one we inhabit now, where there are winners and losers. That's what competition is all about. We need, it seems to me, um, uh, an accentuation of cooperation in our community to, to to produce a genuinely balanced economy and society. So uh, that's what your uh, observation prompted in me, Scotty, and I thank you very much for it.
0: Yes, well, I guess another observation: if you if you put the extra C into the A Triple C, are you worried about another C, the co-option of the uh, the whole cooperative? idealist sort of thing by by the the status quo the the institutional sort of inertia that's that is the sort of the economic system we have
1: well um really really challenging question that one am i worried about the co-option of uh, i i believe that co-option co-option is virtually complete I mean, there are remnants, there are outposts, it's like, you know, it's like sort of monasteries in the Dark Ages. I mean, they're still out there, and there are still many forming, and as, again, as I say, my information is out of date, because I haven't, I haven't kept myself current doing the other book that I was doing, um, and I am told by people who know far better than I do, that there's actually a a sense of growing excitement in, in the uh, cooperative sector. I, and it, It's only because I'm not looking, I'm sure, that I, I, I'm not aware of it, and, and I trust that they're right. So am I worried about co-option in, in, in the A, quadruple C? No, I'm not. I, I'm, 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 I'm more encouraged by the probability that through the, uh, you know, the, the particularly the media commentary on this, Uh, that cooperation and cooperatives will be be brought more centrally into the purview of uh, the masses of the people who may then uh, see it as a relevant methodology for solving their own problems from within their own resources, within their own communities, rather than waiting for white knights and and others offering employment to solve their problems for them.
0: Yes, I suppose the to go back again to the past and down the time tunnel i guess um, things like the uh, the original government regulations that came in um, like for instance the the co-op act in 1924 in new south wales and how did that cause before that you you've got a that odd sort of no man's land where the co-operators don't quite fit into anywhere that's the situation you. you've got and uh, i presume that the these acts and red lead, legislations were brought in to try and find somewhere to put cooperators. how did that affect the whole thing
1: oh great great question and we've only got uh, you know this we haven't got hours here <laughs> have we? but if you if you've Can read, always come back <laughs> i think you might have read my book uh, a middle way yes, rochdale yeah. cooperative um in new south wales um that focuses uh, significantly upon the genesis of what came to be known as the Cooperation Act, but w- was originally the community settlement uh, cooperatives, and I can't remember, it had a long, long title. <laughs> the reason for the long title was that some of the legislators, even then, in the in the early 1920s, were seeking to exploit the, the, the grand idea of cooperation in order to feather their own nests, i.e., community settlements, um, just happened to be um near where uh, they grazed their herds and they needed railways for example in the monaro district so what do we need uh, to justify putting in a totally uneconomic rail system we need some community settlements so that was the spark if you like in, amongst uh, certain elements sydney-based elements for the cooperation that's what they found attractive about um canvassing uh, this idea um but the 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 act the idea of uh, cooperation was coming from the uh, agricultural cooperatives in particular uh, at the industrial level, the Rochdale cooperatives uh, uh, the, these were real and and populous movements at the time, they, they had um, electoral clout if you like so I mean this was uh, and also irregularities and, um, and anomalies occurring within the generally unregulated cooperative sector that was both discrediting the them on the one hand, ruining people in many cases. On the other hand, and, and also obviously needed, you know, bringing into a regulatory uh, regime. So. All of this concentrated in the period after World War One, where you've got, um, you know, soldier settlement schemes, new agricultural industry starting up, new townships starting up, a need to place people in uh, a lot of people who simply wanted to move to the country and live a peaceful, quiet life after what they'd experienced in the trenches. Okay, so all of this need to needed to be catered for legislatively, and so the 1923 Cooperation Act uh, came in. in in, into existence. And it was that act, when I was a, a young student, as I said, in the context of the, the sacking of Whitlam, the footnotes of in, in, of cooperatives in labour history, and then I saw a footnote on you know, the Cooperation Act, and I actually went and made the effort to go and have a look at it, and it just blew me away. I could not believe that on an Australian statute book was this statement of idealistic um, 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 aspiration. I could not believe it. I mean, am I reading this? Is this actually... <laughs> and that, that, was, that was it, if you like. That, that's what, what sort of sparked me. into. I had to make a decision. I want to find out what this is all about, where it came from, what it's all about, where it's going, and that took me into nearly a quarter of a century of uh, co research. But to answer your question about that act, It it had about eight categories, building societies, um, production cooperatives, retail cooperatives, uh, agricultural cooperatives. Uh, it, there was a kind of mention of uh, proto credit unions, but uh, not really. I mean, loan, loan societies, loan societies they were called, and community advancement societies, which I'm about to come to here in these kind of uh, these traditions, these continuities within Australian cooperatives history. Because with the um, post-war uh, return of 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 soldiers and the need for settlement particularly in rural districts community advancement cooperatives became very important and they they were um designed into the cooperation act so we saw clubs and progress associations rsls and you know um and 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 and, and various country uh, 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 progress uh, uh, clubs and and soldier settlements, rural reconstruction themes, sports and and recreation and cultural enterprises built around cooperative uh, community advancement societies, many of which still exist, although they're practically unrecognizable as cooperatives and a few not too far from where we're sitting at the moment who uh, have tended to attract uh, less than favorable attention shall we say because of a proclivity for um i guess gambling drinking and 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 tax minimalization you know so that's not not exactly a uh, heroic (laughs) vision that 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 they uh but uh there are still many around and again i mentioned nuri utpa before splendid example and uh, and the 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 um um, the anticipation of credit unions in in these cooperative loan societies, which nothing happened, don't ask me why, although if I went back over my notes I'd probably be able to tell you, but basically what was happening through the Great Depression, uh, you know, the, the, after the, the Act, and then into, into World War II, through World War II and immediately after World War II, we see the credit unions come on stream. Uh, they'd been there in proto-formation, as I say before, but they they grew out of again out of at least two impulses and i know you're interested in uh, in Mondragon um, <clears throat> one of the well let's just go back there were parish credit unions <clears throat> basically uh people of the flock who um needed venetian blinds or needed a school uniform or you know s- small sums of money for um uh, family necessities in a burgeoning Urbanizing, sorry about that mate i 'm waving my arms around here um, you know and small loans guaranteed by the community. the Catholics of course, were doing the same draw but for but in the in the context of um, parochial schools uh, uh, for, for for their own community. The, the need to finance uh, and, and fund uh, books and, and and clothing and cases and shoes and all of these things. And these developed at, at community, and then of course in the post-war period within workplaces, industrial credit unions. To to and they're they're around again, Scotty, the loan sharks. You've been reading about them. They're cruising around now, grabbing people after payday and giving them loans on the spot at at, at sort of outrageous interest rates. And so the industrial credit unions arose to um, eradicate that uh, predation upon working people. Um, in, influenced by a pre-war influence of Japanese uh, Toyohito Toyo Kagawa, um, who was kind of like the saint, the saint who speaks, seen as the great you know, world cooperator, legendary around the world? He came to Australia. He turned a lot of people on. You may remember Fletcher Jones here in Canberra. I don't know if you hear was on the corner there. That was a cooperative that emanated from Kagawa's visit in the late 30s. Well, there you um, go. Yes. Uh, and, 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 and then, uh, of course, there was the. Um, uh, the uh, uh, schulz Litz and Reifes and Traditions from Germany, former uh, urban, the, the latter rural, basically, again, communities lending within themselves the, the bond of association, i.e. the trust, the trust that we share because we know each other, okay, and we, we will not default because we simply would not do that to our community or ourselves. That's, and then, of course, the Antigonish <coughs> impulse, which developed in Canada, and uh, subsequently uh, spread uh, via the Catholic social movement to Mondragon in the Basque region of Spain, working with unemployed uh, manufacturers, developing... Well, um, in, in, in Canada, it was unempo- uh, fishermen, Fisherman. poor fishermen, okay? And then that translated into manufacturing in Spain. So, or, and, 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 and men returning from um, armed service in the RAAF who'd been exposed to the Antigonish tradition in Canada, you see, where they were training. And they came back and they saw this as a <coughs> wonderful, idealistic, marvellous thing to be doing in the context of post-war reconstruction. Well, the
0: Antigonish were quite <coughs> focused on the education side of things, weren't they? Yes, indeed. And, and that obviously paid off in the spread of it internationally.
1: Absolutely, yes. Um, <coughs> and, and so... Um, Uh, Again, you just divide it into ideological poles around the Christian idealists on the one hand and the secular pragmatists on the other who saw um, consumer finance purely in a utilitarian way rather than as um, the, uh, the kernel, if you like, for a real challenge to the conventional banks. And, of course, the banks... Have subsequently um, um, <coughs> uh, marshalled their resources to uh, to blunt seriously blunt the impact of the building societies and the credit unions within uh, their in- industrial area. Where where was that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so now uh, can I put pr- a it. question? Yep, yep. Uh, rave, rave. He goes, "Why haven't the cooperatives made a, 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 a lasting or a larger impact upon the Australian political economy?" <clears throat> Is that a fair question it's to ask myself? a great one. Yeah. Okay. It seems to me it's actually on the interviewer here. Why haven't <laughs> <laughs> <the> <laughs> go on? Um, fun, the fundamental answer. Uh, Scotty, is that the cooperators failed to achieve their fundamental mission, that is to cooperate. The cooperators <laughs> failed to cooperate. The enemy within. The enemies within. Mm-hmm. Because we've talked about these traditions of cooperation, okay, and there are others. Contemporary, which I haven't mentioned, like the housing cooperatives, food cooperatives, childcare, you know, hobbies, rail enthusiasts, and, and, and film artists. There's, there's a whole array of uh, new cooperatives, small cooperatives forming, of, of which I'm un, unaware. Okay, so please don't uh, listeners think that I'm saying that it's not uh, it's not happening now. I'm sure it is. I simply don't know about it.
0: Well, speaking but, historically,
1: um, speaking historically, the cooperatives fail to cooperate, e.g the um, Rochdale consumer cooperators organized to uh, purchase um, food foodstuffs for example at the lowest possible price okay the primary producers the farmers that is um, are organized to sell at the highest possible price now in conventional antagonistic capitalist market relations you can see where that's going to go that's going to go to an impasse <coughs> where one uh, outfit you know, organize uh, develops quite distinct from separate from the other in fact they'd be they're quite hostile then if we if we sort of come to say the building societies um um that you you get into kind of sectarian differences and credit unions there is a a predominantly um protestant uh, view that inviting people into debt was morally wrong Catholics had no problem with this, okay? So, for example, um, the Rochdale consumer movement took a very jaundiced view of the credit union movement in particular. Not so of the, the building societies, because they tended to be sort of locally controllable, but after <coughs> the credit union uh, um, disciples came back from the war, it, they took off like wildfire and they were out of control. Basically, inviting people into debt was seen as morally wrong. Okay? So there was an impasse there. And not only that, the credit union movement rapidly became a predominant sector of the what I call the cooperative movement, but in inverted commas. Okay? And so there was a certain jealousy. As the Rochdale uh, uh, consumer cooperative sector started to go into decline, as a result, as say, of, of the the advent of huge uh, for-profit supermarkets, they simply could not compete on price. Modernity uh, shopping became an experience rather than a loyal, dedicated you know um, <coughs> obligation. Um, uh, so they they were going into decline because of internal, of these external and internal reasons that I uh, uh, mentioned earlier. Um, and the the farmer cooperatives were getting bigger and bigger, and I just uh, digress to mention that one of those cooperatives, which which is actually a, a a farmer cooperative, which is now West Farmers, okay, Western Australians and the Eastern uh, Board could seldom talk to each other. For long periods of time about any agreed principles or ways forward not only have you got it segmented into the producers the consumers the finances the manufacturers and what have you talking from within industrial vantage points but you've got these parochial um, divisions as well so the the capacity and the failure to uh, invest adequately in education so the, the capacity of the cooperative sector to develop a coherent a representative body for example or to develop serious political leverage was constantly hampered by these internal divisions within the sector sectors and sector okay so the external internal reasons these ideological conflicts within the failure to educate the failure to uh, <coughs> particularly engage the full potential of women and young people on the one hand the failure to um, rise above Parochial, uh, sectional interests—the um, the, the reflection of fundamental capitalist antagonisms in, in their uh, relations, the imperial relationship with the giant, you know, cooperative wholesale society—intentionally, uh, I would argue, withering. The manufacturing side of Australian cooperation, Um, and basically, uh, um, uh, streams of cooperation uh, withering as others were moving into their ascendancy. Uh, Impossible to develop and maintain and in particular fund an effective um, representative um, uh, uh, political lobbying group. And uh, at the heart of this, I would say this, and this is my big bugbear, as anybody who knows my work <coughs> would realise, um, the failure to develop federal legislation for co So if anybody out there is listening with any influence, Please think seriously about the uh, benefits of, um, of 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 uh, evolving federal legislation for cooperatives. The states' writers will resist you like hell. They say they've already got it in the form of uniform cooperatives legislation. I would dispute that. Not only has that uniformity taken over 30 years to achieve, but it it, it is one which from my very limited purview of the situation now, is it's not not as consistent and galvanic as it needs to be to galvanize a renaissance in in the cooperative sector. One clean, powerful piece of federal legislation for cooperatives with all of the necessary add-on resources, and I think we will see a truly um, surprising uh, redevelopment of cooperation in Australia. In the absence of it, I, I really have my doubts. Now, I know there'll be people out there screaming at me, how <laughs> dare you say that? He's, he's talking you know, ign- from, a, from a base of ignorance, and I possibly am. But I still think that that is the central, most uh, important reason for the failure of the cooperative sector in Australia to achieve a greater national presence the absence of national legislation
0: well on that note we're going to have to leave it because we've run right out of time great note to gary lewis thank you very much for coming in and ranting will you do it again
1: I don't know. I mean, I'll wait till I hear the feedback from the listeners. I may be run out of town, for all I know. But if you think I've still
0: got something to say... Yes, well, we specialise in putting to (laughs) air people who get run out of town.
1: (laughs) Well, I've just come into town after living in the bush for 25 years.
0: (laughs) No worries. OK, well, thanks thanks as well to the Australia Institute for paying our our fees to keep the show on the air. And, uh, yes news is coming up and we'll, uh, we'll see you later on